0: We need to pull our heads out of the sand, because we are refusing to see what's happening. We need to see the problem to change it, and to change ourselves.
1: The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts, here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin.
0: Do, 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 do. Oh yeah, baby Luca Parmitano. A Luca
1: Parmitano, the beautiful
0: ISS commander, a European in charge of the International Space Station, and that was his. Um, that was part of his speech that he gave to the United Nations. We're united, aren't we? Me and you. Oh yeah, big time. And our, and what's our goal? Our goal is to unite all nations on earth and to get them to
1: subscribe to the podcast, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course, <laughs> as if that would be our our motivation. But please tell your mates. Absolutely. Jamie, Jamie, whereabouts are you in the world today, oh, talking of nations? I find myself in the wonderful city of Mumbai on the west coast of India.
0: Well, I
1: never. I sent you a little snap earlier of me stalking the uh, local aerospace <laughs> office. Um, sorry if any of them saw me. Um, I didn't have time to go in, but tomorrow I'm hoping to get down to the old space center to um, see if I can grab an interview. So you never know. I'm hoping I will succeed. Um, but it's a, it's a wonderful place. If you haven't been, I highly recommend it. It is so people are so friendly. The food is. I mean, Matt, you talk about Birmingham curries. <laughs> it's nothing on what I had yesterday. Trust me. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. It's just, I'm it's sure. a magical place. And I, I, I've been working very hard, but um, tomorrow I uh, I fly home, but not till the evening. So I'm hoping to, uh, yeah, see a bit of the space area. I will report back with my findings. Did you need any of that Imodium that you packed? No, do you know what? Touch wood. Um, my, uh, my guts have behaved themselves. I think it's because I haven't drunk that dirty pond water <laughs> that you recommended.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Jamie, I'm going to sh- do a shout out. Yes. Two, two of the ace level Patreons. Oh. Tasmanian legend Justin Young. Oh god, younger. And UK legend Justin Roberts. Seriously, you guys are just incredible. And you don't have to be called Justin to become ace level. Justines are also welcome, Jamie. And any other name, actually, I don't think there is a, any any stipulation on name to become. There really isn't. No. I mean, yes. They are double legend status. So come join the growing gang of Spodcats. Come and join
1: us. Uh, but but thank you very much to everybody who is uh, who is joining up. It means that we can continue to do this 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 absolute nonsense. Uh, so time. thank you for listening. We we read out some reviews of the podcast between us, uh, and and you know despite the odd one or two people that we <laughs> that we upset for our politic talks or mainly me. Sorry, Matt. Um, yeah but but um everyone else seemed to leave a lovely review we're so glad you seem to like what we
0: do the only negative reviews were from people who were global warming deniers actually I was gonna say it makes me question it and'm I'm, I'm not too bothered about them are you Matt it's uh, the, the weird thing is said that we were getting political climate science isn't politics it's just no. it's just science it's just facts well. Let's go with it's overwhelming scientific consensus that the globe is warming due to anthropological causes and uh, we need to do something about it, as Luca Parmitano was talking about in that opening sentence, Jamie. He
1: absolutely was. Now, talking of important things... Mm -hmm. I think everyone's favourite thing on this show is your space nugget. Have you got one for me? I have got
0: a space nugget, and uh, space nugget is, of course, space nugget of the week. And it's winter time, so that's is there a jingle? Sn- that's snow. We should have some oh. jingle bells, maybe for that. Space nuggets of the week, <laughs> Christmas style. Yes, Brevard yeah. County in Florida, or hmm. some some people know it as the Countdown County, because of course of its oh. because it's so near to cape canaveral back in 1999 america was rejigging its area codes and Mm. was about to award chicago with the area code 321 but uh, a chap called robert osband was not caught napping as just as a local resident of the brevard county he managed a petition that they should get 321 as their area code. Genius. That's easy to remember, isn't it? Ever since uh, 2000, the Countdown County has had 321 as their dialing code, which I think is pretty cool. It's very apt, and I I love that. And and it's one of my favourite songs by an artist called Connor Oberst. Oh, I love Connor Oberst. Really good. Oh, yeah. Space mission of the week, Jamie. Space mission of the week. Here we go. So a camera aboard a space probe has confirmed an asteroid phenomenon. Doing! So, did you know this? Back in 1923, so almost the 100th yeah. anniversary, Thomas Edison Clang. started the United States Naval Research Laboratory, the NRL. Exactly. U.S. Navy and Marine Corps Science Laboratory, and their remit is to kind of look into space science and plasma physics and all these kind of things, material science, to to help with warfare, I suppose, and uh, give the Americans that military edge. And they spend a billion dollars every year and employ 2,600 staff, of which about 90 are from the military. But Despite popular belief, the Parker Solar Probe has a camera on it. Now, I, I read quite a few things that they didn't have a camera because if it had a camera and it pointed at the sun, it would melt. Yeah, surely. But it does have a camera that looks slightly away from the sun, that gives it an enormous wide field from 13 to 108 degrees away from the sun. Almost like a uh, a chronograph style image. A chronograph is where you have an uh, where you're looking at a very bright object, but you put an object in the way of that bright object so that you can see the sort of dimmer stuff around it. Well, that's that's kind of simple but clever. So it never actually points at the sun, but just to the edge of where the sun is, and so this video camera is whizzing around. Well, I say video cameras, two cameras on telescopes, highly sensitive instruments that are going whizzing around on the Parker Solar Probe, which has just done one of its orbits very near the sun and all the science is coming back. And this is one of them. The wide, the wide field imager for solar probe, Whisper, has been sending back some images. Now, the purpose of, it, of the Whisper is to look at some of the things like the solar corona, coronal streamers, plumes, coronal mass ejections, but this week's discovery is actually something else. Matt, you're saying some of my favourite things. Whispers, coronas. Keep going, son. Exactly. Chocolate bars, orange drinks. (laughs) So there's a chap called Carl Battams, and this is what he said. He says... This is why NRL's heliospheric images are so groundbreaking. They allow you to see near-sun outflows massively fainter than the sun itself, which would otherwise blind our cameras. And in this case, you can also see solar system objects extremely close to the sun, which most telescopes cannot do. So... So this is Batams at uh, a uh, press conference, and NASA press conference this week, and okay. so I've seen quite a lot of his work on on astronomy photo of the week, oh, yeah. the, of I the know, day, yeah. you know, and uh, quite a few of his commentary Im- images make their way onto then. But he's identified a dust cloud trailing behind the asteroid three thousand two hundred Phaethon, spelt P H. A-E-T-H-O-N, Phaethon. Well pronounced. Sounds like a character from Marvel, doesn't it? It does, Phaethon. Well, Phaethon is, in in Greek mythology, the son of the solar deity Helios. Ooh, okay, okay. And I I think one of the daughters of Titan, one of the sea titans, I don't know. Phaethon. Really interesting object indeed, Jamie. Do you want a a rundown of some of the interesting things? Rattle off some bullets. It's the first asteroid ever to be discovered using images from a spacecraft. Ooh. Back in 1983, the Infrared Astronomical Satellite, or IRAS. That is sick, man. That's pretty cool. It's an Apollo asteroid, and do you know what an Apollo asteroid is? Uh, isn't it an Earth-crossing asteroid? It certainly is. So, yes, its perihelion is smaller than Earth's orbit, but the aphelion is larger. So, in other words, Jeez. It, it goes in and out of the solar system but across Earth's past, which, which is a bit like Bennu and Ryugu that have been, of course, uh, America and Japan have had their little spacecraft around just like the Chelyabinsk meteor that exploded over Russia back in 2013. Remember that one? Ah, uh,
1: yes. yes, I do remember. Well, I've got one for you, Matt. Mm-hmm. It's also a PHA, which you know what that stands for, don't you? A potentially hazardous asteroid. Dun-dun-dun! Luckily, we know the position of it with great certainty, at least for the next 400 years. Uh, the 2017 Earth approach distance of about 10 million kilometres Twenty-seven times the moon distance, and it will get five times closer in 2093. How old will you be in 2093, mate?
0: About about ninety-five, or something <laughs> like that. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, That's such a lie. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, about, yeah, yeah. Imagine that ten million kilometers, but they know its accuracy to within seven hundred meters. Not even a kilometer. God, a little bit damn. shorter than a racetrack. Its orbit brings it close to the sun, closer than any other named asteroid. So it comes within 13 million miles. So that's seven times closer than the Earth and twice as near as Mercury gets to the sun.
1: Now, I've got one for you. You know, Matt, I love a surname. Mm -hmm. Harvard legend Fred Whipple. Mm -hmm. That's Fred Whipple of Comets a Dirty Snowball fame. Mm -hmm. Pointed out shortly after the discovery that the Phaethon is the cause of the Geminids. Am I pronouncing that right? I think right?
0: Geminids or Geminids, yeah.
1: Geminids or Geminids meteor shower. Uh, very odd for an asteroid to be creating
0: a meteor shower. A that bit of a coincidence, it peaks today and tomorrow, the, the Geminids. Oh, my God. So go out and see the Geminids, and you will see the t- Earth effectively moving through the tail of Phaethon. God damn. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? And that's what causes this meteor shower. But it's quite odd for an asteroid to be causing it. It's normally comets. So it's got a a highly eccentric orbit for an asteroid. And so it's it's kind of more like a comet. So it's like a a cross between a dead comet and an asteroid. And and sometimes it's referred to as the rock comet.
1: Horns in the air. Um, So Matt, using NASA's stereo spacecraft... Dust tails have been observed, and uh, in 2010, Phaethon was detected ejecting dust. Maybe that's the sun's heat causing fractures similar to mud cracks in uh, in a dry
0: lake bed. Do, do you want to hear the, the strangest fact of them all? Go on. It's blue. It's actually what blue. This thing is blue. That's my favourite colour too. You're going to watch a blue video
1: of <laughs> Phaethon. Stay, Alan, the podcast is blue.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, you can watch a blue video of Phaethon as it passes near Earth. Um, Blind. Yeah. So, it, it gets to 800 degrees Celsius as it gets near to the sun, and that's enough to turn the metals on the asteroid into a goo. Oh my God. That is like one of our Venus facts, isn't it? So, talking, we, we did talk about Ryugu a second ago, and. Uh, the Japanese JAXA are going to fly a very exciting mission called Destiny Plus, and you'll, lo- Get you'll love what Destiny is an acronym for. Oh God, here we go! <laughs> Demonstration and experiment of space technology for interplanetary voyage Phaethon flyby dust science. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> they have really eked. Out destiny from that. I don't. I don't know how. But like, how I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah, come on, people. De- destiny, and that's yeah. In 2025, it's it's planned to do. It's it's and it's going to do that flyby, and it's planned to launch in a couple of years. Couple of what? Years. Oh. And uh, yeah, so Carl Battams suggests that this dust trail that he's spotted using Whisper is 14 miles long and weighs mm. billions of tons. It's, it's weird, isn't it, to think of these dust tails as just weighing billions of tons. This is the thing. Dust doesn't really normally equate in our heads to being heavy. Here's the tantalizing thing. He he says that something catastrophic happened to phaethon a couple of thousands of years ago and created the Geminid meteor shower. There's no way the asteroid is anywhere near active enough when it's near the sun to produce the mass of dust we're seeing, so we are confident that Whisper is seeing part of the Geminid meteor stream. Now, that was actually, Matt, mm-hmm. a pretty good accent. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. He wants to thank his colleagues Brendan Gallagher, Guillermo Stenborg, and Russell Howard, the English comedian, or... Possibly, oh. possibly another Russ Howard. Uh, Could be uh, that um, isn't Russell Howard, the English comedian. What about Matthew Knight and Mike Kelly? He thanks them, UMD astronomers Matthew Knight is it and Kelly, Mike. or is it Keely? Who knows? I think Kelly. Let's go with Kelly or Keely. Go with yeah. Keeley. Double L E Y. So that is part of the, this first batch of Parker Solar Probe data that, that scientists are getting extremely excited about.
1: I mean, that was all great and all, but I've got a, a more exciting question for you. Mm-hmm.
0: Who was the first Scottish astronaut? Do you know, this one, really, we should have celebrated this a li- little bit more, shouldn't we? Because this year... Well,
1: that's why we're doing so, it, surely. Yeah,
0: 2019 saw a Brit go into space. And we, and we kind of passed the spider. The first Scott ever into space happened this year, Dave McKay, who flew Richard Branson's Virgin VSS Unity higher and faster than any of the Virgin Galactic's previous missions. Get in, Dave McKay. And so, yes, he went above the what NASA called the official boundary for space, back on Loretta's birthday, February the 22nd. But the reason why I'm talking about it is because he's been made an honorary PhD at Robert Gordon University uh, and named him a Doctor of Technology. Well,
1: congratulations, though. And would you like me to read the quote? Read the quote. And remember, he's a Scot. I hope that someone maybe takes some inspiration from my journey from a small Highlands village to space. (laughs) Where is he from? (laughs) It's got to be north of the border anyway. Yeah, that was good. Incredible stuff. So good work, Dave. We should, Matt, because we're trying this week uh, to to have a little bit of a shorter episode. Yeah. We apologise for the 10-hour episodes recently, but we just get carried away. Uh, We do have a fantastic interview um, with... uh, Oh, mate, Xavier, don't we? we?
0: We we certainly do. We've got to do a shout-out, though, Jamie. Here we go. We've got to do a shout-out to Neil, bionic surgeon Hopper, yeah. friend of Patreon Bob, and he lost both his legs to sepsis last year, but is returned to oh, work man. as a surgeon wow. in Roger Taylor and Loretta's birth town of Truro. Incredible. Inspiring. Jamie, do you want to listen to uh, Javier de Castellia's interview? Roll it. Ecoute... The interplanetary podcast putting the ace back into space actually tell us a little bit about yourself and what model we're actually looking at here because it's it's cool. looking pretty fascinating and it'll yeah. tie in with what we we had a habitat habitat month a couple of months ago and it yeah. uh,
2: we talked about this and so it'd be great to hear it from the horse's mouth Cool, so, yeah yeah hi um so yeah so i'm an architect and i've been involved in um space habitats for quite a few years um the one we're showing here at the Design Museum is the latest one I've done. So it's for a NASA competition, uh, and I'm doing this with a uh, Hassel studio. Um, uh, so uh, we're looking here at a model of uh, the habitat. And to really kind of um, show a little bit what, what is kind of different of what we've done here to the habitats I've done before, is that we really took in a lot more science and engineering. right? So halfway to the competition, we uh, decided to call a few friends, <laughs> So, and friends are friends. So we called some uh, uh, Martian scientists, Martian geologists, uh, uh, roboticists, um, we, we've had space anthropologists, uh, radiation experts, and we invited them for a little uh, conference, a little symposium. Everybody had a little short slot, but what we really did is we hung up all our, our, our drawings and our models in a big room and we told all the scientists and engineers, tell us what's wrong with this, right? Just hack into it. Let us know what, is, what did we do wrong? And we had four hour discussion with everybody drawing on top of our drawings, making markups, changing stuff. And that was so important to work with the scientists, with the engineers. But as a designer, you're kind of like choreographing it. You're the MC. you're the conductor of this whole thing because you don't really know that much about everything, right? I'm just a space enthusiast, right? I'm not a scientist or an engineer. So, um, but that, that central role as a designer we think is super important. And then we even went further. So, we then not maybe kind of look at the drawings here. Yep. There's two drawings, they're really important. The right hand side you see is a um, isometric of the architecture. You see the shell structure which is there to um, protect against radiation. Then we have the inflatables, right? Which is your uh, uh, pressurized environment, and then of course all the interior and that. But as the architect, you need to think about how all that stuff is deployed on Mars, how it lands on Mars, how it gets to Mars, how it gets into Earth orbit, and that's here the mission architecture. And for that, we work together with Cranford University, with their space engineering students. So their task. Dust storm approaching. Dust here. Long yeah, <laughs> um, so we worked with these students and one of their tasks was for that year, one of their projects was looking at our design and working with us together to make sure the mission architecture actually Works out. So we have about 34 SLS launches. We have three missions to Mars with our our version of a Martian tra- uh, 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 transfer vehicle and then uh, the landing pods, of course. And you see underneath how long it would take. Uh, the whole mission, they we calculated would take about 10 years oh. in total. From the first launch of the robots that will aut- autonomously start printing the shell structure to then uh, the, the 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 Astros being back on Earth, the whole mission. Astros will be there about over a year. Okay, it's quite, cute, it's cool. quite nice that there's, yeah. there's uh, the same yeah, yeah. Museum anyway. So, um, <laughs> I mean,
0: the first thing that I notice is, uh, uh, when we were doing the, uh, when we were looking at space habitats, mm-hmm. uh, obviously we got quite a lot of listeners that sort of wrote in and and said things. And, and one of the mm-hmm. kind of objections to some of the kind of single unit habitats yeah. was that, that there's no sense of community. Whereas it looks like on this design that you've you've tried to build in that sense of community. Was that was that something that that came up?
2: Well, one of the things that we did here is. Um you know, you need to protect yourself from radiation and all that, so you need to be enclosed, mm. right? But we like, as humans, we like to view out, don't we? It's mm. nice to have a space that you can look across. So If you look over there, what we have, we're looking at the courtyard. This is, we're, in the, we're in the one-to-one mock-up now, uh, with a big video wall, and we're looking at another part of the, of the, the Mars habitat. We see we probably see some astronauts over there walking around, working. And we thought it was important to have that idea that you can be in a space and look at another space and you're not in that other space, hmm. right? Yeah. In the ISS, you're kind of in, in a dark corridor all the time, right? So we thought it was important. And why were we able to do that? Well, think about a courtyard on Earth, Mediterranean, yeah. you know, somewhere in Tunisia or something. <laughs> what is a courtyard good for? It brings in light, indirectly, but not direct sunlight. And you get a lovely view across. And that's what we did here. The difference, of course, is that sunlight there brings gamma radiation, which is deadly. <laughs> um, and it's not like on Earth they just get a bit hot or tan. Yeah. Um, but still, we use the same, the same idea. It's a courtyard, right? So it's not a technological engineering solution. Mm. It's actually a pure architectural solution for, for a rather hard engineering problem. Yeah.
0: Uh, is there any plans to build an analogue anywhere of this uh, particular habitat design? I mean, I know that they're, they're thinking of doing similar sort of things actually yeah. in, in in United Arab Emirates, aren't they? And, and yeah, uh, yeah. Like there's that. a few
2: places that are looking at it. Uh, and, you know, this yeah. f- in Iceland, Atacama Desert, there's been many around. Um, I would, well, for me, this is kind of my first one. Yeah. As it's in a design museum. Right, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But for me, this is my first test. And I would love to get involved with a real analog somewhere in a remote place, because if you look at those, they're never really designed. Yeah. Right. And I just still do not understand. They do a a mission to Mars 500. They put people in 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 a in a space for 500 days, and they don't actually design it really nicely. They somehow how you know. The psychological effect of your environment is so important, you know? It's a bit like this, right? Look at the ISS, how messy it is, right? Yeah. How happy and content aren't you when you cleaned up your, your house? Aren't you in a completely psychological <laughs> different space? Yeah. When it's all neat and tidy and all, you know? Well, well, the ISS seems
0: like the absolute antithesis to Zen or something oh, yeah. is, is like that. <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: It's not Zen, it's Nez. No, exactly. And you know what? Because I don't think it's well designed, mm. right? Yeah there's not too many designers involved.: that has been, it's been designed, designed by engineers.: engineers. <laughs> Exactly.
3: Yeah.
2: And then you might think, well, well, it must be well, maybe we don't need design, right? Because mm. it's, it's, it's optimum because the engineer's done it. I would argue that it's completely different. Think about this, right? ISS, loads of corridors, loads of science racks. there's that something that's uh, work on but most of the time not. They set up experiments and then go and do something else, but they're not there the whole time. So think about this, like the space in front of the rack is not used all the time. So that's, we came up with this idea, where we have a circular, a radial racking system that's movable, right? So we can just open the racks, go in, do some work, and close it again. And the racks are then connected to this, um, the ring beam almost, or the the, the ring conduit on the side, that brings in. Water, air, electricity, data—whatever they need to actually operate any of the racks. But then, a rack can also become a kitchen. A rack can become a wardrobe. So they're kind of all the same size, but they have different functions. So when you when you
0: first did your your, your initial design and invited all every all the scientists, engineers, everyone down. Mm. What was, the, what was the obvious mistakes or what were the obvious things that they were sort of
2: digging into straight away? Okay, one thing was our original design was in a star shape, right? So we had about three modules and it was a star shape. Uh, one of the first things they said, yeah, well what if the middle pod, just the middle point of, of, this, of the star, there's a mistake and there's, there's, there's a uh, fatal error there. You're, you have a big problem because yeah. you can't go to the other side. So that's what we came with a circular thing, the Taurus idea, that if one of these pods could be a fatal accident, something happens, it blows up, um, then every astronaut can still go to every other part of the habitat, right? Yeah. So that was one of the things that, that we definitely changed. Another thing was, um, and that is because we had somebody there from Halley 6, right. from the Antarctic uh, mission, from the British Antarctic Survey. First question he asked, hey, where's your workshop? I was like, what what do you mean workshop? Is that like half the time they were there, we fixed stuff. That's, you know, and he was one of the people based there and he was there because he was one of these engineers who was super practical. He could weld, he could construct something, he could do science experiments, he could do electronics, he could do anything, this guy. He said like, that's what you need, so. We changed it and we made a workshop, you can see that here. A workshop with 3D printers, digital fabrication lab and so forth. So if something breaks, we can just mend it, fix it, make our own stuff. So yeah. gonna ask, yeah,
3: sorry. So, I was going to ask, the, the, yeah. the shell here that, mm-hmm. that uh, protects up what is the level of radiation protection you're going to get from that? Because this is the big question, isn't it, for, yeah. for long duration missions. Yeah. What is the level of uh, radiation pro-
2: protection? Well. <coughs> you're always going to get more radiation, right? And we have about a meter and a half, right? And we did it out of, 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 of regolith. Mm. So it protects quite a bit. But when you have solar storms, you might then need to have an extra shelter on top of that. So this is actually really good for the day-in, day-out radiation. Uh, you might need a storm shelter. Mm. But we also spoke to, to, to uh, scientists who are looking at creating your own uh, magnetic sphere around it. It's like Star Trek, right? It's like your own force field around it, temporarily. But that would need lots and lots of energy as well. So that is, again, a bit of an issue. So you're
3: going to need some sort of underground bunker?
2: That might be. You know, if there's a massive solar storm, they might have to retreat to a bunker. Or Or a nice lava tube. Oh, nice lava tube, oh, yeah. Lava trip. <laughs> so, we're talking of power then, is, is this
0: going to be solar or nuclear, or, or, or is that not? It's like... nuclear. So nuclear we looked sure. at,
2: the things that we looked at for this design, we, we didn't do any science fiction. Yeah. Uh, we took bits that we know people are looking at. The, the microwave technology that centers the regolith, there's a there's Pisces in Hawaii a research organization the German Space lab is looking at that so lots of people have been looking at that so we're kind of comfortable yes' they'll, they'll figure it out in time um, so and uh, for the power we're using the uh, the kilopower nuclear reactors that NASA has been developing And some of the rovers is uh, some of the, the NASA in uh, NASA swamp works is developing so we kind of as an architect we took bits and bobs together that we knew, yeah, this is almost there, this might happen.
0: Yeah, so going back to that, so clearly sort of uh, additive manufacturing mm. and 3D printing is going to be, is, is pretty critical, isn't it, for something like mm. this, as in, you've got your workshop, you can't just order from Amazon and have a next-day no. delivery, it's, a, it's no. an eight-month delivery, <laughs> yeah. so,
2: even though <laughs> it's Jeff Bezos. And well. a kind of expensive one. <laughs> but, and a very you expensive
0: know. one. So you've got to be making stuff. So... It ha- in your line of business with with architecture, has it, has it has has those have those technologies transformed the way that you think about things now? Well, and how long has that transformation been happening?
2: Well, the 3D printing. Um,
0: yeah. Well, how does yeah the whole yeah. Well, I think I think I think, think it, 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 it
2: yeah I, I think it has. Um, interestingly enough, I think in different industries, architecture is a really hard one to, to crack because yeah. it's really big. 3D printing is good for small objects, right? And yeah. um, architecture is okay being very specific um, places, like Mars. Yeah. There's no other way to print autonomously. Um, on Earth we haven't done that many 3D printed buildings yet. There's still a thing to crack, I think. So, um, I've actually was on the first Research group that did concrete 3 printing in the world. That was in 2008. Yeah. So I've been involved in it for a long time, um, um, but we're still not there yet. I think to find the right applications for it on Earth. Right. Okay.
3: Can I ask this project here, who's financing it? Where does the where does the finance come for this?
2: Um, for your project. For my project. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, I work for Hassel Studio, we're a large architectural practice and we do lots of research as well. So we thought this was an excellent project to really start looking at really difficult issues, like sustainability. And circular economy, and for it's like a test project to kind of try a few things out, learn new things, and then to apply it on our projects on Earth. Because you know, we're a large architecture practice. This is not what we do day in day out. Mm. You know, this is just one of a small research project we do. Oh, okay. um, so it's funded within your uh,
3: architectural practice. Yes, it's
2: part such. as part of a research okay. project here. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And, and do you find with
0: this kind of research that you get a spin-off back into the kind of more day-to-day. Well, I say, I'm presuming it's not day-to-day, but the yeah. sort of day-to-day design work that you do for, for, for like, terrestrial architecture. No,
2: absolutely. You know, like working, for example, with the uh, the furniture designer, 3D printing furniture. and you know, we're already thinking what what is next. Um, then the the racking system. You know, you could probably apply this. In a house in a small London flat mm. you know because it's movable it's actually a very simple system behind it and I can imagine applying this uh, in, a, in a home yeah. very easily so yeah so it's like
0: expanding your kind of mm-hmm. uh, uh, well giving yourself new parameters to think about has given yeah. you some uh, new ways to, to think about the parameters you already had I suppose yeah amazing uh, yeah but the why, why? SLS? Was that just because of the size of the fairing that it had? That just literally its capability. To, well, it was to actually, for NASA.
2: The project. Yeah, so, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we kind of uh, we got a lot of information on it. So we weren't quite sure. what yeah. We just made a decision there. Yeah, uh, I mean,
0: but, and I suppose it's a it's a realistic. It's a, it's realistic a pretty realistic in, thing. Yeah,
2: yeah, so okay. um, Yes. So
3: how many of your architects are space enthusiasts? I mean, is that... Uh, oh, quite a lot of them.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody gets gets really excited about the yeah. project always, yeah. you know. Yeah. They all want to come to the, to the exhibition and all that. So yeah, everybody has been really, really uh, enthusiastic about it yeah. and, and yeah. Kind of
3: Has it developed people's interest in, in space exploration then? I mean, have you got people who came into this with no knowledge whatsoever
2: of, of space or very little and then developed it as they went through the project I think so because it also opens up that you know it this is not just for kind of space engineers everybody can get involved everybody can start thinking about it you know because thinking you don't need to be an explanation anything. It's just logical proper thinking so uh, and design I think design is such an interesting field and it also opens up this idea that hey we can we can design space habitat what else can we design right so it opens that uh, Attitude of like, yeah, we can get involved in different things because yeah. we do have a value. Yeah, yeah. You know? we do, we undersell ourselves quite often. Yeah, I do like your point
3: about ISS and interior design and making it terrible. Literally, absolutely terrible because it has been designed by engineers, and that's no yeah. disrespect to engineers. But you need no. creative design type people i come into
2: Raymond Loewy, one of my heroes, first designer to work in space. He was involved on Skylab, right? Which is basically really big because it was massive, right? Skylab is a big, big. Yeah tin, right? (laughs) Metal tin in space. (laughs) They brought him in um, to consult. And the space engineers were like, oh, what is this designer going (laughs) to do, right? (laughs) 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 Is he going to do choose the color? He did choose the color, but he also did three other things. First thing, gave a personal space to each of the astronauts. Imagine being months, it was months they were around, right? Give him a personal space. Second, give him a table? Because in the original design, the astronauts would just have a little flip down tray from the wall of Almost the of the thing, God. sitting next to each other, <laughs> not facing each other and having a conversation how their day was. Imagine that, right? It was not, the engineers did not think it was necessary. Third thing, the engineers did not think it was necessary to have a window. He fought super hard to get a window in. And they got a window in, right? And then, You might think like, it would be crazy going in a spaceship around Earth in orbit never seeing Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Right?
3: Because the astronauts say that the window is one of the most important things in in, in the ISS. And and think about this. The
2: cupola. The cupola in the ISS. Right? You know how long it took to get installed? A long time. 23 years. From design to installation. Always cost-engineered out. It's not necessary. And I think it revived the ISS. People got more interested in the ISS. Yep. People didn't, always didn't forgot that we had a, yeah. a space station, right? There's yeah. still so a bit of cupola in there, people are like, oh, right. Well, revitalized
3: the photography from ISS because the astronauts can sit up there and actually exactly. play around with images. Well, so you, you know, and yeah, we,
0: we've yeah. all, all of us, all three of us have put some money towards the ISS, so it's like, we, we, exactly. want, something, we want something back, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like this,
2: just give us a photo yeah. us <laughs> something. Exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah, so, before you started working on, on, yeah. on like, space habitats, mm-hmm. um, and after working on space habitats, yeah. where's your where, where do you lie on the optimism of people actually getting to Mars and living yeah. here? Has it has it has your view that it's going to be further away or nearer from the beginning to the end, or, 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 are you, or are you are you sticking where you were at the beginning of the project? I'm kind of
2: sticking where I was at the project, I think. You know, so th- this is not. You know, this is not the. This is definitely not a, a flag planting mission. Yeah. Right, this is yeah. a bit further in the future. It is the second, third mission or something like that to Mars. We think, uh, but we think it's actually quite feasible. Is it going to be in the next few years? Well, maybe not. But yeah. 2030s, I'm still, I'm still very hopeful. Look, I think, I hope I can still, in my career, work on it, yeah. uh, and maybe my kids are all under 15, so they might be the, the real Martians.
0: Right. Okay, so you, so you've remained, that you've, yeah, remained no, that. you've got that optimism. Yeah,
3: okay. I do look at it from the you know the, the generational point of view, yeah. the, the younger generation coming through, and, and how different they, differently they view this yeah. to say people who are now quite old. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whether you've 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 <laughs> <politics>. related this <laughs> to older people and to younger people, yeah. and actually got the enthusiasm of younger people, because when you tap into that. Anything's possible, yeah. so they look at that and say, "Brilliant, let's just do it." Yeah. Whereas older people say, "Well, you know, hang on, there are too many problems with it. There's this problem and that yeah, problem, you yeah, know." Yeah. So it's kind of getting that childlike
2: enthusiasm for and it. it. Yeah. And and this might be a funny thing, but like a childlike enthusiasm—that's what designers do, right? Yeah. Yeah, we are there, that. and as I know, there might be an issue with this airlock. We haven't quite figured that out yeah. yet, but that's okay, yeah. right? I don't need to stop. Yeah. I can keep on imagining. But it's also really important that we don't just do something just yes. pure fantasy science fiction, and that's what we really try to. Do in This my latest project here with Hassel is really trying to bring in this mission architecture, rethink really about everything. There's loads of spreadsheets and with with um, uh, with all sorts of things behind this as well. They all feed into the graphic and then really into the, the final architecture. It's this be kind of you know grounded in science and engineering but don't stop imagining
0: i've got one final question then which, right. is, which is if you if you, if, if you could bring back a a hero of yours from the past yeah. to help you on this who would it be
2: oh it's got to be raymond Lowy, right
0: right yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be him
0: <laughs> excellent thank you very much for thank uh, you. talking to us this is great yeah. Brilliant. thank you Thanks,
3: the
2: interplanetary
3: podcast is
0: a noise. Sorry about the noises. I was at the design museum and there was all sorts kicking off Matt, in there. noises means passion, okay? So don't <laughs> beat yourself up. That's good. Good.
1: Um, that was incredible. So, yeah, thank you so much, Xavier. Like, how interesting was that?
0: It was super, super interesting. Jamie, I want to just quickly do a, a science article of the week. Well, you better. It it comes from geographical research letters and it's widespread shallow water ice on Mars at high and mid latitudes by Sylvian Pique et al. Love it. And basically this is a map of where we should be landing when we go to Mars because the water, you can dig, literally you can take a spade and dig the water out.
1: Well, take your bucket with you, bucket and spade and... Your rubber ring,
0: yeah, and so it's only it's only two point five centimeters below the surface in certain areas. So it's. Wait, it's, are we
1: still talking about the? Oh, oh uh, yeah, yes, yeah, carry
0: on. yeah, and 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 so yes, it's just this really cool map that that they've managed to develop, and they've used another NASA mission, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter (MRO) and the Mars Climate Sounder. Um, instrument on there, and Mars Odyssey orbiter, which and used the thermal emission imaging system or THEMIS on there, and they've been analysing Mars's surface and how it changes during the seasons, and have managed to to use that information to work out where the water is close to the surface. Wow. Okay. Should we run through it? It's not. It's not a massive, surprising result. The water being near the surface. But this particular study does three really important things. It shows that there's water at very shallow depths that's accessible with limited equipment. Uh It shows that there's a continuous regional coverage even at mid-latitudes. And they've got this map that uh, shows... With reasonable, moderate spatial resolution, where you should be going to land to try and get some of this stuff.
1: Could the ice map be uh, turned into drinking water?
0: Well, it, it's it's it is all about ISRU. Oxygen. Absolutely, ev- everything, Jamie. Well, that's why they need me there. Exactly, and, and and that means you don't have to bring it from Earth. So this. This map almost certainly will be one of the things that uh, NASA or whoever goes to Mars first, with some humans, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, might decide to land th- in using this map to guide them. Good luck, team. So yeah, that was a that was a cool paper out this week. A huge shout out to our skylon level Spodcats.
1: Oh my God! Yes. Can I chuck some name can I chuck some names at you, Matt? Go. Anthony Peggs. Legend Or Legend. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Bob Hodges. Legend. Christopher. Andres. Legend. Darren Foots. Legend. What about James Godwin? Legend. What about John Bennett? Legend. Julio Aprea. Legend. Carol Sim. Legend. Mark Schwert. Legend. Matt Gilliam. Legend. Patrick Hayward. Legend. Anna Bull. Legend. Stas
0: Shusha. Legend. Then Newhouse. Legend. They are all legends. Jamie, wow. that is the Skylon Level Spodcats. How, Matt, do you join this club? You just go to patreon.com forward slash interplanetary to join these people and, and maybe join us on ye Oldie Discord. Ye olde Discordy, and join the now
1: infamous banter. Bant. We hate the word banter. I, I,
0: I, and, yeah. and bant's terrible. Yeah, bant. Jamie. Yeah. It's quite a big week on the old space launches, so I thought I'd just do you a rundown very quickly. You ready? Here we go. Strap, go. strap yourself in. So in. 16th of December, we have got, yeah. a, a, just this is a bit of a boring one, Long March 3B, B, couple of Beidou Earth navigation sats. <laughs> then we've got, on the 17th of December, we have a Falcon 9 that's taking off, Cape Canaveral, with some dying. Japanese Singapore geosynchronous commsat. But here's a really cool one. We were talking about the cosmic vision of ESA. Well, yeah. one of the the first small cosmic mission, Cheops or CHEOPS, is taking off on a Russian Soyuz with a frigate upper stage, hopefully on the 17th of December, uh, flying with a couple of CubeSats, so that's going to be COSMO, an Earth observation. Then there's this ESA-OPSAT, which is some experimental fast computer. Then, then it's got ISAT, which is zodiacal light, which Brian May will be pleased about. And some inv- another environmental technology demonstration sat, uh, the Kness Angels, Matt,
1: you realised that when you said Brian May, Mm -hmm. before you said that, I was already singing One Vision in my head. Oh. Gimme, gimme, gimme,
0: gimme, fried chicken. Talking of fried chicken, on 20th December, China launched a Long March 4B with the first ever Ethiopian satellite. So Ethiopia adjoining space. What's that got to do with fried chicken? Well, I know they like fried chicken in both China and Ethiopia, Jamie. (laughs) Okay.
1: Uh, Right, I'm off to dream about uh, plasma physics. What are you up to,
0: Jamie, there's one... We got to the the biggest launch of the (sighs) goddamn week. Oh, go on. An Atlas V carrying the CST-100 Starliner. How could I miss that? Commercial crew development on its 30-day mission to test the CST-100 Starliner, of which yeah. Russia have been apparently sending tweets saying, oh, by the way, it takes off on Russian engines, so America is still using Russia to get to space, which is a little bit stupid being that they're just about to lose millions and millions and millions and millions of pounds because uh, they don't need to book Soyuz seats anymore. So Matt, never mind. I've
1: told you millions of times to stop Saying millions millions of times. It does it
0: does it does it remind you of Trump? It it really does. Okay. Well, Jamie, let's not get political. Yeah. Let's wish our Spodcats a lovely yeah. weekend. Have a lovely weekend, everybody. And
1: I hope wherever you are, you have a good one.
0: And I and I hope the general election here in the UK didn't spoil it for our UK. Users. Yes. Uh, Let's
1: hope not. We don't know yet because we're recording this the day before. Mm. But let's hope it's a good one. And if it's not, then, well, we'll win in
0: five years' time. Well, don't worry, everyone. Whatever happens, remember, it's not the end of the world. If it's not the result that you were looking for, there'll be another time to vote. And it, you know... At least we live in a democracy.
1: And I'd like to leave you with namaste, which means welcome. Welcome.
0: Right, okay, Jamie, on that random uh, bit of um, language. Bye bye, Spot (laughs) Cats! Bye.